0: The title of this morning's message is Jacob's Faith. We will be continuing in chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews, and we will be looking at the story and journey of Jacob's faith, which is referenced in verse 21 of Hebrews 11. I have it for you in the Passion Translation. Jacob worshipped in faith's reality at the end of his life. And leaning upon his staff, he imparted a prophetic blessing upon each of Joseph's sons. Now, I don't know about you, but over the years when I've read the book of Hebrews, I never really stopped to consider the stories behind the by-faith reference found in chapter 11. By faith they did this, and by faith they did that. And I always just thought, oh yeah, they had faith. (laughs) That's the point, right? (laughs) But the baby Hebrew believers, the men in particular, would have known these stories by heart. I mean, word by word, by heart. So when they say Jacob, they know the whole story. And then they can start going, oh, (laughs) that's what Jacob was doing. He was operating in faith. Especially with the Hebrew baby believers, they had been taught so much to operate under the law. And so in the new covenant, it's go back to the beginning, (laughs) go back to operating and living by faith. So when I would read chapter 11, I understood that the author wanted his readers to understand that the Old Testament heroes accomplished the things they did by completely entrusting themselves to God and his promises. In other words, They had faith, (laughs) confidence, assurance that God was good and only good. And I think the author of Hebrews wants his Hebrew baby believers to really understand that it has always been by faith in God that pleased God. That has been the whole point. He wants relationship with human beings, and he wants to share all that his goodness with his human beings. But the only way to get what's in the spiritual realm into the physical realm is to believe that it exists and that God has given it to you already. I think that's the point of chapter 11. Faith in God through personal relationship with God has always been the desire of God's heart. He has always wanted us to know Him, (laughs) not the rules, (laughs) to know Him, not just about Him. Knowing who God is and what He's really like is what causes faith to arise in our hearts. And operating in faith is the only way to apprehend the good things that God has promised to us. But God doesn't expect us to believe in Him and His word to us, without a personal revelation of himself and his word. And this was true for Jacob as well. Jacob needed a personal revelation of God. We know that Jacob was raised with the knowledge of God. and God was real to his parents. <laughs> they heard God. But up until the little shenanigans started, <laughs> with Jacob and his mother deceiving Isaac, We don't see that Jacob has a personal faith and the fact that he's deceiving his father is an intimation that perhaps he didn't really have that personal relationship. He knew God, he knew about God, God was real to his parents, but was God real to Jacob? Doesn't look like it, but that was about to change. Jacob needed to know God for himself in order to actually live in the blessing that his father had spoken over him. A blessing isn't a magic spell. There I bless you in the name of Jesus. Go and be blessed. (laughs) Not a magic spell. (laughs) It's an impartation. It's a spiritual reality conferred on someone. That's what Isaac had done for Jacob. He had conferred on him basically the kingdom. But in order to live in that kingdom... You have to receive it. He had to receive the truth of who God was. He had to receive the truth of how God saw him. And he had to receive the truth of who God really was. We find the story of Jacob's first personal revelation of God in Genesis chapter 28. I have it for you in the literal standard version, which keeps the literal verb tenses used in the Hebrew. I chose this version so that you could hear how finished God's promises would have sounded to Jacob. Beginning in verse 10 of Genesis 28. And Jacob goes out from Beersheba and goes toward Haran. And he touches, which actually means come upon accidentally, at a certain place and lodges there. For the sun has gone in and he takes the stones of the place and makes them his pillows and lies down in that place, and he dreams, and behold, a ladder can also be understood as a set of steps, (laughs) a stairway to heaven, (laughs) set up on the earth, and its head is touching the heavens, and behold, messengers of God are going up and coming down by it. This paints a picture for Jacob of God's continuous relationship and divine intervention into Jacob's life and his family line. But for us, it is a picture of what Christ would be to us. The everlasting intercessor between God and man, heaven and earth. Jesus references this in John chapter 1, beginning with verse 47. Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? (laughs) And Jesus answered, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. (laughs) You are the King of Israel. And Jesus answered him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. In other words, through Jesus, heaven and earth, God and man are reconciled and made friendly again. There's no longer a separation because Jesus is the bridge or the ladder that reconnects us to God and his spiritual kingdom. Jesus, as a picture of an intercessor, has God by one hand and us by the other. He's the intercessor, the one in between, that brings two parties together, or two things together, or things and people together. (laughs) Because he is in between, he is able to access the entire kingdom and give it to us. And then he is our representative before the Father. The Father always sees us in relation to what Jesus has already done for us. So, continuing with Jacob's dream in Genesis 28, verse 13. And behold, Yahweh, the pre incarnate Christ, is standing on it. He's standing on this stairway. And scholars say it probably was more like a stairway, like a bunch of rocks. <laughs> it wasn't probably like a ladder we think today, made of wood. It was probably stones. And he was standing on them. And he says, I am Yahweh, God of your father and God of Isaac. The land on which you are lying, I give it to you and to your seed. Your seed has been as the dust of the land. And you have broken forth westward and eastward and northward and southward. And all the families of the ground have been blessed in you and in your seed. Behold. I am with you and have kept you wherever you go and have caused you to return to this ground. For I do not leave you until I have surely done that which I have spoken to you. Now, this is how Hebrew works. Hebrew doesn't have, I'm going to go do that. It's either I am doing it or it has been done. (laughs) And scientists know our brain likes that. (laughs) our brain says if it's out there somewhere it's not real yet but when we know something is currently being done or it has been done our brain goes thumbs up I can do already done (laughs) I can believe already done (laughs) I can believe happening right now but this is how God talked to his people in a past tense scenario present and past tense I have kept you now he hasn't left yet (laughs) I have kept you. This is a done deal, Jacob. (laughs) I need you to know and to hear, this is a done deal. Why? So that he can easily believe that it is, in fact, spiritually already done, already provided. God speaks as though this is a finished work. And it is. Simply because God says so. (laughs) It is important for Jacob to see God's word to him in this way, because it will cause, that's just it, it will cause faith to arise in Jacob's heart. This isn't just about what is going to happen in the natural realm. It's about what's going to happen in the natural realm because of what has already happened in the spiritual realm. Verse 16. And Jacob awakens out of his sleep and says, Surely Yahweh is in this place, and I did not know. And he fears. Better translation, was in awe. (laughs) He wasn't like trembling with fear. He's like, oh my gosh, God was here, and I didn't realize it. And he says, how fearful, or how awesome is this place. This is nothing but a house of God and this is a gate or door of the heavens. Again, Jesus is the door. Jesus was standing on the steps. Jesus was saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and through me, the kingdom is accessed. Verse 18, Jacob rises early in the morning and takes the stone which he has made his pillows and he makes it into a standing pillar and pours oil on its top. He anointed it with oil as an act of setting it apart as holy. It was no longer just a rock. (laughs) It was a memorial of when God revealed himself to Jacob in a way that was real. When he understood that God himself was real, and God wanted a personal relationship with Jacob. God was already on Jacob's side. (laughs) God was already in favor of Jacob. But Jacob didn't have that personal revelation yet. Verse 19. And he calls the name of that place Bethel, house of God. And yet, Luz is the name of the city at the first. Now, Jacob wasn't the first to call that place Bethel. Abraham also called it Bethel in chapter 12. The point wasn't to give the place a new name, but to give the place a new association for Jacob. There was a memorial there. Every time he would go through there, it's like us going, I remember where I got saved. (laughs) Same thing. It's like, uh, this is the spot. God was here in reality, and I saw him. Just like when we get saved, We know the reality of Christ. We know the reality of his mercy and forgiveness. We know it's real. And Jacob sets up a memorial. Not only did he have faith and believe for the first time, Jacob also committed himself to Yahweh as his own God. This was really the beginning of Jacob's life of faith with God. Prior to this, Jacob knew about God. But now, Was beginning to really know and believe God for himself. Verse 20, and Jacob vows a vow, saying, seeing God is with me, and has kept me, I love that, and has already kept me in the way which I am going, and has given to me bread to eat, and a garment to put on. When I have turned back in peace, another one, when he comes back from where he's going, to the house of my father, And Yahweh has already become my God. Then this stone, which I have made, a standing pillar, is a house of God. And all that you give me, tithing, I tithe to you. The phrase house of God didn't actually pertain to a building at that time in history. It was simply a reference to the place of worship. It was where the presence of God was manifested to the worshiper. In other words, they saw in that moment, God is live and real. He lives right here in this spot. <laughs> I saw him with my own two eyes. <laughs> That's what he's talking about here. <laughs> but this vow that he made, it was his commitment. It was his way of saying, I take you as my God. I take you for myself to know you and have relationship with you. So Jacob, believing that God has already provided everything he will need, and believing that God will be with him while he's in Haran, which is not part of the promised land, (laughs) and believing that God was powerful enough to bring him back into the land of Canaan safely, he makes this vow. And he promises that when all of everything that God has said to him comes to pass, then Jacob will give a tenth of all he has to God. Now, what I want you to see is that God didn't ask Jacob for anything. Whose idea was it, this tithing business? (laughs) It wasn't God's, it was Jacob's. And this was not Jacob making a deal with God as an incentive for God to be faithful. This is a declaration of commitment to Yahweh as his God. He's looking to Yahweh as his provider. And he's looking to Yahweh as his protection. And he's taking Yahweh as his very own God. He was going to tithe because he knew God would be faithful. Because he said it. I have kept you. He's like, done deal. When I get back, everything you give me, I'm going to give you a tenth. So, Jacob's tithing was a demonstration of worship and faith and thanksgiving. And it was completely voluntary. It was all Jacob's idea. Now that's interesting. Because where did he get this idea? The law hasn't been given yet. So where did he get this tithing idea? (laughs) Well, it might surprise you where the concept of tithing came from. (laughs) It turns out that biblical scholars have found historical evidence that the pagan kings and the pagan worshipers alive at the same time as our patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, taught the principle of tithing to their people. Many pagan kings mandated the giving of a tenth of their people's income for the purpose of promoting the worship of their false gods and for the purpose of appeasing their gods and gaining their favor. Unfortunately, some churches today still teach the pagan concept of tithing. In other words, you give to get. <laughs> If you want God to bless you, you gotta give. If you want God to protect you, you gotta give. If you want God to like you, you gotta give. (laughs) But that's not what we see in this passage at all. (laughs) He simply wants to demonstrate his faith and thanksgiving to God for what God has already provided. (laughs) What I like about this story is that Jacob's response to the revelation of the one true and living God and God's absolutely free loving kindness, there was no charge for these promises. (laughs) It was his way of saying, let me thank you. Let me honor you by gifting you with some of what you have given to me. Let me demonstrate that I know you. (laughs) And I know you are my protector and my provider. This reminds me of me years ago when I was a baby believer in Christ. I was so thrilled to be forgiven that I just wanted to give God something (laughs) in response to his goodness. And I think this is very much like Jacob in this passage. He's basically a brand new baby believer who has just glimpsed the God of amazing grace. God didn't ask for anything. He didn't say, I will keep you if you obey me. I will keep you if you mind your manners. I have kept you. It was a finished work on God's part. And Jacob could not earn it. Jacob was not making a deal with God. When we read it in the English, when it has the verb tenses the way we would normally read them, it almost sounds like, Okay, God, I'll give you my money if you give me these promises. That's not what was going on here at all. This was all about God's grace and God's goodness. Now, Jacob wasn't born again the way we are, he didn't get a new nature like us. Instead, he was like Abraham, who was declared to be in right standing with God by grace. Through faith. It was the revelation of who God is and what God could do that convinces Jacob's heart to trust the God of his father and the God of his grandfather, and who also became the God of Jacob. But just like a baby believer under the new covenant, Jacob needed to learn how to walk with God (laughs) according to knowledge and revelation that he had about God and his character and his power and his favor. This was really all a new idea for Jacob. As far as we can tell, he wasn't having that personal relationship with God prior to this event. Jacob was basically a baby believer, and baby believers make mistakes. (laughs) A lot. (laughs) At first, they usually continue to live according to their emotions instead of living according to the knowledge and direction provided by God. And just like the Hebrew baby believers, they weren't naturally inclined to consistently seek God's will and direction in their life, unless something went very wrong. (laughs) It's amazing how quickly we turn to God when something goes wrong. (laughs) But at least we know where our help comes from. (laughs) And even then, baby believers can be like Rebecca, Jacob's mom. Knowing what God's will is, she knew that God had chosen Jacob to receive the firstborn blessing, but she wasn't very good at trusting in God to be able to bring to pass what God had said. So she, like Sarah, decided to help God out (laughs) by deceiving her husband. (laughs) Never a good idea. That is something baby believers do. They think they have to help God or make the promise come to pass. You'll just get yourself into trouble. (laughs) We're much better off listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit and letting him convince us of what he has already done for us and how that will show up in our life by faith. After Jacob's first encounter with God, he continues to travel on to Haran the land where his mother's brother lives. And wouldn't you know it, the first thing he sees is a really cute girl. <laughs> and, and her name is Rachel. And he falls madly in love with her instantly. And he wants to marry her. And surprise, surprise, she just happens to be his uncle Laban's daughter. How convenient. <laughs> Because he's poor. (laughs) And since he's poor, (laughs) he can't provide the bride price for Rachel. Back in those days, he had to provide a dowry for his bride-to-be. His uncle offers to let Jacob work for him as a way of obtaining the bride price for Rachel. Unbeknownst to Jacob, Laban is a conniver just like his mother, Rebecca, (laughs) and he had been. (laughs) And Laban knows how to take advantage of a situation and to manipulate it into producing what he wants for himself. And that's how Jacob ends up married to the wrong girl. (laughs) Even though he had worked seven years to be able to marry his beloved, Rachel, Laban saw an opportunity to marry off his older, less attractive daughter, while simultaneously getting seven more years of work out of Jacob. (laughs) So Layden does an old switcheroo and Jacob unknowingly marries Leah. Now, it seems to me that Jacob found out big time what it was like to be on the receiving end of trickery and deception. And I don't think he liked it. (laughs) But it was very much like what he had done to his own father. Jacob, just like Isaac, was tricked into a situation that could not be undone. And he had no recourse but to go along with it. But Laban assures Jacob that it's okay. He can still marry Rachel the following week, as long as he agrees to work another seven years to pay off the bride price. And since he's still madly in love with her, he agrees to the deal. And Jacob quickly learns that he needs to start consulting with God regarding his situations, (laughs) because Laban continues to take advantage of him financially, year after year after year. And if it continues, he will not ever be able to afford to leave Laban's employment. He was a prisoner because of his debt. But according to scripture, God gives Jacob some strategies on how to legitimately (laughs) increase his own wealth from within the flocks that he shepherds for Laban. And then he slowly but surely becomes rich. Not through deception and trickery, but through faith in God's word to him. Most of us would probably not have gone to God and said, show me how to become wealthy while I still work for Laban. Most of us would say, God, you need to do something about him. <laughs> you don't need to fix him because <laughs> he's not being fair. <laughs> That's not what Jacob does. Jacob has agreed to these parameters voluntarily. And since he's had this encounter with God, now he wants to do things legitimately. He's not trying to scheme a way of cheating Laban. When you read the story, it sometimes sounds like what he's doing is he's somehow illegally (laughs) taking from Laban what belongs to Laban. And that's not what he was doing. Jacob's wages came from the flock. He was paid with animals. And so God gave him strategies on how to breed the best ones. And that Jacob would keep the less desirable ones. He says, so God. (laughs) He would keep the less desirable ones, the ones that were spotted and streaked and speckled, and the lambs that were black. See, none of that was considered valuable. To the rest of the world so god gives him this strategy and so he ends up year after year getting more and more his flock just flourishes and laban's diminishes but this is the deal that laban has made with him so he's not doing anything wrong he got his strategy from god even though it sounds a little hinky in the scripture <laughs> Because he employs the strategies that God has given him, he becomes rich legitimately (laughs) through faith in what God had told him. And then after 20 years of being in Laban's employ, the day comes when God tells Jacob that it's time to go back to the land of promise. But Jacob is afraid of Laban because Laban is a scheming, conniving cheat. And Jacob knows he can't trust a thing that comes out of Laban's mouth. And he's pretty sure Laban will not give him what rightfully belongs to him. His flocks and herds, his wives and servants, and even his 11 sons. Because if Jacob has not yet paid that debt, then rightfully he couldn't leave. But he had paid, he had worked 14 years for his wives and an extra six to become rich. And he didn't leave because he was fed up. He left because God told him to. So Jacob arranges to leave Haran sneakily, (laughs) taking only what is rightfully his, while Laban is away from home. And of course, Laban is hopping mad when he finds out what has happened. And he and his sons go after Jacob, most likely to bring back everything but Jacob. (laughs) Because those were his daughters and his grandchildren and his flocks and he was wrong. They all belonged to Jacob. But God. But God is faithful to his word. God told him, I have kept you. And at that point, it probably didn't look like God was keeping him. (laughs) But God is faithful to his word. God had promised Jacob that God would bring him back safely to the land where he built a memorial. So God intervenes on Jacob's behalf by warning Laban in a dream not to do Jacob any harm because that was his intent. (laughs) And then Laban becomes the one who really has no choice but to comply with God's word and allow them to leave. God shows up in Laban's dream and says, Don't you hurt that boy. <laughs> Morning, you just so you know, and so he doesn't. He complies not because he wants to, but because he wants to avoid whatever might come upon him should he disobey. So he allows them, they make a little covenant and whatnot, and Laban allows them to leave because of God. So Jacob and his wives and kids and flocks and herds continue on their way back to the promised land. But Jacob knows he now has to face that brother of his. (laughs) You know, the one he cheated, (laughs) the one he lied to, the one he deceived. Oh, no. (laughs) He can't go back to Laban's land because Laban will get him. And now he has to go back to the promised land where his brother is. And he's afraid his brother's going to get him. (laughs) What do I do here, God? (laughs) But then a funny thing happens on the way to the family reunion. Remember those angels Jacob saw in his dream? Well, it turns out they didn't just exist in his dream. And we can see this in Genesis chapter 32, beginning with verse 1. Jacob went on his way, and the angels of God met him. Now, how did he recognize them? <laughs> I doubt they had big, fluffy wings. <laughs> he probably remembers them from his dream. So when Jacob saw them, he said, this is God's camp. <laughs> so he called us the name of that place, Makaniyum, which means two camps or double camps. Here, God once again helps Jacob to believe. I love that God does stuff for us all the time. He helps us to believe. He doesn't ask us to create belief. He asks us to point our attention to him, and he creates belief. So when he sees the angel, he probably remembers them and recognizes them from his dream, and he knows them. This is God's way of saying, remember? Remember what I told you again? 20 years ago, (laughs) that part of my provision is safety. Part of that safety was the angels that he had seen in his dream. That convinced him that at that point, he was still safe. (laughs) But he didn't know for how long. (laughs) Because he's got to go see that brother of his. I love this about Jacob. He's one of the heroes of faith but he believes and unbelieves all at the same time. Just like us. <laughs> he believes what God has told him, but he's still scared. <laughs> and why is he still scared? Because he's unbelieving. He's not believing, I have kept you. He knows it's true, but his heart is not convinced. So God starts to with the convincing process and sends angels to say, Remember? Remember the dream? I'm your security. I'm your provision. I'm your safety. Remember? (laughs) So, Jacob is quaking in his boots, but he knows where to go. He knows he can't come up with faith all by himself. So he goes to God in prayer. Genesis 32, beginning with verse 9. And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham, and God of my father Isaac, O Lord Yahweh, who said to me, Return to your country and to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness you have shown to your servant. For with only my staff, I crossed the Jordan. In other words, when he left, he had nothing. (laughs) He had a staff, that was it. And now I have become two camps. In other words, he has come back and now he is full. And his camp is not just his camp. His camp is also surrounded by the angels of God. And he prays, Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of my brother Esau. For I fear him, that he may come and attack me and the mothers with the children. But you said, I love that. But you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea, which cannot be numbered for a multitude. In other words, he's reminding God of his promises, just like we do. And he admits to God that he in no way deserves all of the good things that God has done for him. But if God is going to fulfill the promise of future descendants more numerous than the sand of the sea, then he needs God to protect him, his wives, and his kids, including the one that Rachel was carrying. So he knew where his help came from, (laughs) and that's where he went. Now God didn't answer immediately like he had before. So Jacob decides to send part of his entourage ahead of him as a gift to his brother Esau, in hopes of appeasing Esau's anger and gaining Esau's forgiveness and acceptance. But in the meantime, Jacob takes his immediate family and sends them across the river while he stays behind by himself. Now remember, Jacob is afraid. He's terrified. In fact, he's never been more afraid in his whole life. He's afraid of losing all that is most precious to him, his life, his wives, and his kids. So Jacob is literally overcome by fear, doubt, and unbelief. Even though he knows God's promises and has seen God deliver him time and time again, why then is he so afraid? (laughs) Could it be because he truly recognizes that he really doesn't deserve Esau's forgiveness or acceptance? Instead, he deserves whatever Esau would see fit to do to him. Jacob believes that he has actually stolen Esau's firstborn blessing. Did he? No. Now, the way he got it was not by grace through faith. (laughs) He got it by manipulation, but it was because his mother knew it belonged to him. So he didn't steal anything. But is that how Esau saw it? No, not at all. So if Esau believes that Jacob actually stole his blessing, then everything Jacob has would rightfully become Esau's. And the penalty for robbery was death. So Jacob had good reason to be very afraid because under the law of the land, Esau had the right to take everything Jacob had and put him to death. But God. This is one of those unforeseen consequences that Jacob could never have guessed at. Jacob, 20 years after he deceived his father and his brother, he actually believes that he has stolen something that didn't belong to him. (laughs) And so he has guilt and shame and condemnation. (laughs) They were working in his heart, making him afraid that he really does deserve to be dead. Because he doesn't see what happened in the light of what God has said to him. He's looking through human eyes and the law of the land and not, the promises that God had given him. So he had faith. Yes, he had faith. He went to God in prayer. But he had all this unbelief too (laughs) because of his past, because of his failure, because of his sin. He's thinking, this is not going to work out well for me. I know you said this, but what about this, God? How do we fix Esau? We don't. We fix Jacob. So Jacob is wrestling inwardly. Believing God. Being terrified. Believing God. Being terrified. (laughs) This is a very normal state for most Christians. (laughs) Recently my son-in-law lost his job. (laughs) He has a union job and he lost it. Long story. But That's exactly what they were going through. God's got us. We know the promises of God. We know God loves us. He'll be just fine. (gasps) How are we going to pay the bills? (laughs) God, I know you're good. God, how am I going to afford groceries? (laughs) God, I know you're real. You're good. You've provided everything. What about doctor bills? We do this. (laughs) That's where Jacob was. I believe, help my (laughs) unbelief. I'm trying hard to believe here, God. (laughs) And while he's wrestling inwardly, a most unusual thing happens to him. A man appears out of nowhere and begins to wrestle with him outwardly. And it lasts all night. Have you ever worried about something all night? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> that's kind of what was going on here <laughs> and we can see this in Genesis chapter 32 beginning with verse 22 the same night he arose and took his two wives his two female servants his eleven children and crossed the ford at Jabbok he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had and Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day Who would this man be? And why would he be wrestling with Jacob? (laughs) At Jacob's most terrifying moment in his life, he's wrestling with this person. (laughs) Who could possibly do this? He's in a camp surrounded by angels. How could a strange man get in there? (laughs) Well, I think Hosea had it right in Hosea chapter 12, verses 2 through 5. I have it for you in the Lexham English Bible, which translates God's name literally instead of using the term Lord. Also, I've added a few words in red just for clarification. Yahweh has a quarrel with the kingdom of Judah. He's not talking about people here. He's talking about nations. And will punish Jacob, the kingdom of Israel, according to his ways and repay him according to his deeds. In the womb, he deceived his brother. And in his manhood, he struggled with God. He struggled with the angel and prevailed. He pleaded for his mercy. He met him at Bethel, and there he spoke with him. Yahweh, the God of hosts. Yahweh is his renowned name. Well, Hosea tells us that this angelic being dressed in human form, is actually Yahweh himself. Yahweh Jr., to be precise. (laughs) The pre-incarnate Christ. (laughs) And he has come to help Jacob overcome his fight with fear, doubt, and unbelief. But he also needs to do it before daybreak. Because Esau is on the way to meet Jacob with a company of 400 men. He does not know Esau's intent. So this person, this Yahweh Jr. shows up to help him overcome the wrestling within by wrestling with him on the outside. Verse 25. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched the hip socket. And Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Jacob needed to see that God could overcome Jacob's strength and tenacity with a simple touch at any given moment. But God needed Jacob to persevere in faith in what God had already told him. God had met Jacob in a dream at Bethel and promised him a safe return. And God needed Jacob to fight the good fight of faith. (laughs) Don't give in to the fear. Don't give in to the condemnation. Don't give in to all of that. Fight the good fight of faith. Sometimes you've got to fight to stay in faith because fear, doubt, and unbelief will strangle you if you don't fight it and you won't be able to apprehend what God has already given so, God needed Jacob to fight the good fight of faith and not try to take it by force or by flesh. He didn't want him to meet Esau in the power and strength of his own flesh. He wanted him to go meet him in the power and strength of God's grace. This was a fight to believe and to keep believing when it didn't look like God could be trusted. Verse 26. And then he said, let me go. The day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. (laughs) Here he is. He's going to try to take it by force. (laughs) I'll make you bless me. No, you won't. (laughs) Now, the scripture doesn't tell us what Jacob exactly was asking for. But my guess would be that he either wants to be reassured that the blessing is actually legitimate, and not stolen, and he wants God to confirm the reality to him again so his faith will rise within his heart and conquer his fears and doubts and unbelief. Or the blessing could simply be God's affirmative answer to his prayer for God to intervene on his behalf with Esau, the same way God had intervened with Laban when Laban chased after him. So either way, God saves the day. (laughs) (laughs) verse 27. And he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. The name Jacob, according to the Hebrew origin, means supplanter or heel grabber. And it can be interpreted as a person who seizes, usurps, or circumvents in order to get what he wants. And that was Jacob's identity. He thought he was still who he used to be. He was Jacob. And he thinks he got the blessing by usurping his brother's rights and taking by force and by flesh. what God wanted to give him by grace through faith. Verse 28. And then he said, Your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. This is is Jacob's new identity. Jacob isn't the same trickster who tried to steal the firstborn blessing. Instead, he's the man who saw the reality of God and his angels in a dream and came to have his own personal faith and commitment to his God. And he's the man who found out for himself what it feels like to be lied to and deceived by a trusted family member. And he's also the man who found that God gave him wisdom so that he could become wealthy, even though his father-in-law constantly cheated him out of what was rightfully his. And Jacob was also the man who found out by experience that God was always faithful to his word and his promises. God was always with him. And so Jacob wasn't the same man anymore. He was now Israel. The name Israel has several different interpretations. It can be understood as a prince with God, or God perseveres, or one who strives or struggles with God and wins. Jacob wasn't treating this angel the same way he treated his brother. He wasn't trying to deceive the angel. He wanted what God had promised and he was terrified. <laughs> so he's like, I need you to come through for me. <laughs> he was seeking God. And he continued to all night to wrestle with God. God wasn't stingy. God wasn't keeping anything away from him. God needed Jacob to persevere in faith when it doesn't look like God's in control. He's not in control, but you know what I mean. (laughs) That God is going to come through. God is faithful to his word. What we see is that Jacob has matured in his character as well as his faith, which is exactly what faith will do to us. It will mature us in the things of God. So that when something terrifying does come knocking on our door, we can go, oh, no big deal. God's got me. This is going to be okay. My God is faithful, and he has promised that he would keep me. It's going to be just fine. Without having to wrestle. <laughs> but sometimes we do. We have to stand firm. And that's what's happening here. The Lord is actually helping him to fight for what is already his in his own heart he's actually persuading Jacob's heart to believe that the answer is yes. That yes, I will bless you. Yes, you are blessed. Yes, I will intervene with you and Esau. Why? Because all of the promises are yes and amen. Verse 29. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it you ask my name? And there he blessed him. Why didn't God just tell him his name? (laughs) Hosea told us. (laughs) We don't know for sure, but probably because Jacob already knew God's name was Yahweh and his name and character hadn't changed. Verse 30. So Jacob called the name of that place Peniel saying, for I have seen God face to face. And yet my life has been delivered. It was a common belief, even before the Mosaic law, that if somebody actually saw God, they would die. So the fact that Jacob is still alive is proof that he is, in fact, truly blessed. (laughs) And death is not God's will for him. (laughs) Life is God's will for him. The fact that I saw God and I'm still living, I am blessed. God's got this. This is great. (laughs) Verse 31, The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. What God did when he touched Jacob's hip was done to help Jacob stay in faith. The scripture doesn't say that it hurt him to walk. It just says that he walked with a limp. So personally, I don't think it caused him pain. I think it just caused him to walk differently. Jacob was headstrong. Jacob needed to learn to submit and stop trying to make God do something. <laughs> you ever get that striving in your heart when you want God to do something really bad? And you have this, oh, come on, guy, come on, guy, come on, God. Oh, that was Jacob. <laughs> Instead of just believing. What God had said, God wanted to change the way Jacob saw himself—to stop relying on his own physical strength and his own physical ability to handle Esau or anything else. God was his strength, and God was his protection. This limp was a constant reminder that his fight was not against flesh and blood; the fight wasn't against Esau. Instead, his fight was to continue to stay in faith regarding what God had promised and what God had named him, his new identity. God had given Jacob a new name and a new walk. With this new name and new walk, there came within his own heart a new courage and a new confidence. And in that moment, he knew he no longer needed to fear Esau. He quit trying to make stuff happen with God and allowed God to show him that God had already intervened on his behalf. After this physical encounter with God, Jacob knew that he knew that he is truly blessed and that God has, in fact, already heard his prayer and has already provided the answer regarding Esau. So Jacob, full of faith and courage and compassion, goes out to meet Esau. And he bows himself down to the ground seven times demonstrating submission. When Esau sees him, he runs to him and embraces him and kisses him and they reconcile one to the other and they weep that they have found one another again. They are reconciled through the grace of God. And in that moment, Jacob knows he never needs to fear his brother's anger again. Now the scripture gives no explanation as to why Esau was no longer angry. Doesn't tell us that he had a dream. Doesn't tell us that a nation showed up and talked to him. There's no explanation why Esau is not angry. Esau has come to the realization that he didn't need his brother's blessing. Esau was rich. Esau came with 400 of his own men. <laughs> Esau was becoming a nation. Esau didn't need anything from Jacob. He didn't come to attack him. He came to reconcile with him. What a wonderful gift. Because Jacob knew what he had done was very wrong the way he did it. But because of his trust in God, God had made a way of reconciliation with him and his brother. What I wanted you to see today was the development and reality of Jacob's faith and the development of his relationship with God. When Jacob was in Haran, we don't see Jacob asking God to change his circumstances. Instead, we see God helping Jacob to overcome in the midst of unfortunate circumstances by placing his faith in God's word to him and then acting on what God had given him as strategies for success. I love that because it's so easy for us to try to pray things away. (laughs) God, can you move? I remember a friend of mine years ago, she had neighbors who were not very good neighbors. Let's just put it that way. (laughs) And she would pray, God, (laughs) you need to do something about those people. (laughs) She knew that they were unsavory. (laughs) So one day she was really mad because they were doing things that she really didn't like. She's like, God, I've had about enough of this. You need to do something about those people. The married next day, they were shot dead. They were drug lords, basically. <laughs> drug dealers. And she's like, I didn't mean like that. <laughs> now, did God shoot the neighbor dead? No. <laughs> it was just a circumstance, yeah. But she was trying to pray the circumstance away. Pray the neighbors away. No, don't try to fix the outside fix the inside. God said you have to love those cranky people. <laughs> you have to love those not so good neighbors. <laughs> and like I don't want to <laughs> So she never prayed that way again. She's like, I don't want anybody dead. <laughs> but that's who we are as human beings it is our inclination to try to get God to move and change the circumstances rather than letting God change us. Jacob's faith and trust in God grew as he saw how God intervened on his behalf over and over and over again through all of those years. God had promised Jacob a good and prosperous future, but the future didn't look so bright when Laban tricked him into marrying Leah. (laughs) And the future didn't look so bright when Laban was constantly cheating him out of his rightfully earned wages. And the future didn't look so bright when Laban and and his greedy sons showed up to take everything back. But God had already spoken a finished work future. And all Jacob needed to do was to believe it and act on it and then stand back and watch God fulfill it. Which is exactly what he did. And this is exactly what the Hebrew baby believers needed to do too. They had a promise of deliverance. Somehow, some way, God would provide a way of escape for them so that they could walk into their divinely orchestrated, safe, and prosperous future. But only if they would stop complaining in the midst of their suffering and stop trying to provide for their safety through their own means by going back into Judaism. God needed them to believe God needed them to fight the good fight of faith, to stay in faith, even in the midst of suffering. And they were suffering. (laughs) Everybody wanted them dead. It's so easy for us to pray, God, make it go away. Change this world, God. (laughs) And he will, through you. (laughs) He will, through you. God needed the Hebrew baby believers to believe what he had already promised them. He needed them to fight the good fight of faith and to stay in faith, knowing that God never fails to keep his word. God needed them to heed the voice of the Holy Spirit so that God could direct them safely into their good future, because there was no way for them to get there on their own. God wanted them to remember Jacob's hard time in Haran and how he had overcome in the midst of the hardship with God's help, by placing his faith in God's word to him and by continuing to seek God's instructions on how to overcome physically. The battle is won. The victory is ours in the spirit and we have to apply it and defend it. Satan will try to talk you out of it every single day, try to tell you you're like that old trickster. You're just an old sinner. There's nothing good about you. He goes, no, I am am a child of God. I have a new identity, and I have a new kingdom. And I've been made a partaker of the kingdom so that I can rule and reign on this earth through the one man, Christ Jesus. Jacob's story is a testimony to the faithfulness of God to his word in the midst of hard times. And the Hebrew baby believers were experiencing especially hard times but the writer of Hebrews wants them to recognize how Jacob overcame in his difficulties. How Jacob was finally able to leave the place of hardship and enter into his specific promise. It was by faith. Not by flesh and not by force. It was by grace through faith. It wasn't by taking matters into their own hands. It was by trusting the word and the reality of who God is. And who he is, is faithful. And that's what God wants to do for us too. He knows we sometimes find ourselves in hard places with hard and unfair people. (laughs) They're everywhere. (laughs) But God is faithful to reveal himself to us when we seek him by faith, knowing that he loves us and that he is more than willing to give us divinely inspired strategies that will help move us closer to apprehending our specific promises. In closing, I want you to see our original scripture for Jacob in Hebrews eleven twenty one. 21. Jacob worshiped in faith's reality. At the end of his life and leaning upon his staff, he imparted a prophetic blessing upon each of Joseph's sons. Now, today we only covered the first half of the first sentence. <laughs> Jacob worshiped in faith's reality. Jacob's story is so big. It covers approximately 25 chapters. (laughs) So there's no way we're going to get it all into one message. But next time I will continue with Jacob and we will finish the rest of this verse. And we will see how it is that it was his faith in God that led him to impart a prophetic blessing to his grandchildren. A generational faith faith passed down from generation to generation. So I hope what you come away with today is that Jacob is very much like us. (laughs) We can be very much like Jacob. But we, like Jacob, can receive a revelation afresh each and every day. We can go to the Word and hear what Holy Spirit is saying. We can constantly listen to Holy Spirit. He didn't have Holy Spirit living inside. But we do. We get to see and hear them, and have God reveal his will and his ways and all that he has for us. God wants to encourage us through his word and through his presence. It's that revelation of him again and again and again. It's like the revelation of grace. I've had the revelation of grace about 15 years now. It changes everything. I mean, it really does change everything when we know we don't have to work for God's blessing. We don't have to buy it with our tithe. There's nothing we can do to make God love us more or less because it's all by his grace. He's not holding anything back. He gives us all that he is and all that is in his kingdom. And all he asks us to do, fight the good fight of faith. Stay in faith. Keep believing, knowing God is faithful. Amen? Father God, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these heroes of faith that you would paint the picture of of how so very human and and so very much like us they were. Even though they don't have what we have, they knew you. They saw you. They realized the reality of who you are and what you what you wanted to do in and through them and their family line. It was all about getting the Christ here. That was the goal. Christ here. But in the meantime, you still showed them your love and mercy and compassion. You still strengthened them when things were hard. You still showed them the way out of the hard place. You still showed them how to love people who were difficult. You were always there working in them and always working for them on their behalf. And we thank you for the truths that we can see in Jacob's life, that he really did become a man of faith. Even though he had a bad start, he had a great finish. And we are the same. And we thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: This is Mark Testerman, Senior Pastor of Triumphant Grace Ministries. I want to say thank you for listening to the finished work gospel of Jesus Christ. I pray that the good news found throughout the message has richly encouraged you in the love of the Father. Friends, this podcast is supported by the generous financial support of its listeners. And if today's message has ministered to you, then would you consider a gift that ministers back to us? You can text the word GIVE, GIVE to 833-632-1315 or you can visit triumphantgrace.com and donate through PayPal or credit card. The cornerstone scripture for Triumphant Grace Ministries is found in Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 14. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Great grace, such grace, triumphant grace to you, God bless you.